Well, welcome to the Animation Department podcast. Uh, I'm Chris McCormick. I'm a character animator, and uh, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. The original plan was to do it actually in person with my friends and coworkers, uh, but we're all stuck at home, so I figured that's no reason to not do it uh, because I think we have some things for you that, uh, that could help the people out there. The idea of this podcast is not just to be another animation podcast because there's been plenty and I've loved them all over the years. Um, the reason I wanted to do my own is because I remember when I was a student or trying to build my career and just slaving away at home, working in all of my free time, trying to get better, trying to stay inspired. And those, those podcasts were instrumental in me staying inspired and motivated. You know, I, I listened to things like the Animation Podcast or Splinecast, uh, Speaking Animation, all these fed me just uh, a, a window into the industry because I grew up in the Midwest and really California felt like um, another planet. I never thought that it would be realistic to get here. So especially now with the world kind of in lockdown and uh, it seeming even harder to do the things that we need to do to progress our skills and, and get ourselves out there, I thought this would be a good time to start putting some things out to help uh, fill the gap that some of those resources provided for me and provide that to you now. But still, why do my own thing and not just tell you all to go listen to the things that I listened to over the years? There was always something missing for me. When you see making of videos or interviews with artists, it tends to focus, as the internet does, on people's best day on things going perfectly. But to a student or somebody that's really struggling, that's only so helpful because I always felt like my situation was different. It prevented me from being successful and getting good at this. And I want to focus on the things that didn't go so well, the struggles that I had and that my coworkers and friends had. So this is going to be a round table style podcast where I have multiple guests on every time so that we get multiple different perspectives and views on a given topic. And hopefully that will increase the odds that something we say will resonate with you so that when you're feeling discouraged or you're at 2 a.m. after a full day of work to finish a class assignment or just to try and get better and build that demo reel that's going to get you into the studio that you want, hopefully something in here will help you the way that countless people have helped me in the past. So I'm excited to see where this goes, where this takes us. Uh, this is just episode one, so we'll see how it goes. And uh, I'm always open to hearing feedback. I want you all to think of this as your podcast, okay? This is not for me. This is for you. I want to help you. So please contact me with anything that you find helpful, anything that you would like to hear from us. Because I found myself over the years with this incredible network of colleagues and friends that all want to help. So we're here for you. So while we will occasionally um, make this an actual animation podcast where we talk about our techniques and workflows and things like that, 
our primary focus, I think, is going to be uh, life in the industry. Life, just, just as a normal person working, doing very cool things, but being a person in this industry. It's something that I don't think is talked about enough. And I hope that we can do our part to demystify some of this. Hopefully, we can show you that there is space in this industry for you. And we want you to come join us. So let's go ahead and dive into episode one of the Animation Department podcast. Thanks for listening. All right. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you, everybody, for agreeing to be on this. This is our first episode. Uh, I'm not quite sure what this show is going to be, but um, I think that's kind of the point. We all go through a lot of uh, difficult and confusing things in this industry and in life in general. And this is just a way for us to share our experiences with people who ha maybe haven't gone through them yet or have gone through and need to know that they're not alone. Um, so thank you for helping me do that. I think we'll go ahead and start with quick intros of uh, what you do, who you are, and how you got there. Uh, if you want to just do like a quick breeze through of, I guess, your history getting into the industry, that would be a good way to start. Do you want to go first? Ah, you first. Your story is yeah. more interesting. Yeah, so I'm Alvin. I'm an animator. Um, currently, I work with Chris and Allison. Um, I work for a video game studio down in uh, Southern California. Um, worked as a cinematic animator. Been in the industry since 2010, so probably professionally five years. Uh, done some work before then, but I wouldn't call that necessarily professional work. I was say, it's um, been more than five years, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but I'm originally from Uganda, East Africa, so I'm international. So uh, maybe some of that international perspective may help out because I've only been in the States for college and now professional work. So if there's any particular questions people would want relating to that, I'd, be, I'd love to help. Cool. Thanks. And Mina, who are you? Oh. My name is Mina. I'm a character designer, um, and I live with this one. Um, right now, I am uh, currently actually looking for work because my last gig was affected by the pandemic. Yay, I'm in that boat. <laughs> um, but other than that, though, I've worked in oddly a bunch of different types of things. I've worked in children's books, uh, video games. Uh, I'm now starting to get a little bit of a foot into the animation industry. Um, so it, my, my journey just literally has been all over. But yeah, otherwise, I uh, grew up as a military brat, so all over the place. The biggest ones to highlight, I guess, would be South Korea and Hawaii. Wow. Um, yeah, that's me. And then moving all over the place to, with Alvin's jobs and exactly. yeah, yeah. industry. So, okay. <laughs> oh, my fault. <laughs> all right, Oliver and Allison, tell us a little bit about yourselves. I'll go first. Um, yeah. I, I graduated in uh, 2009, I think. Um, so it's been it's been a long time, uh, and I'm a character artist, 3D character artist. So I've been doing that for quite a while now, and my journey's taken me through a bunch of different sort of video game related um, industries. So I've actually worked as obviously a character artist. I've worked as a technical artist. I've worked as a programmer. Um, and then I recently got back into character art doing, uh, freelance, mostly freelance, which I've been doing for a couple of years now. Uh, and that's, 
that's got its ups and downs, obviously, based on the situation we're in right now, the pandemic, it's got its ups. So, um, cause I'm pretty used to working at home. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, there's, there's, there's too much to go over, but yeah, I've been kind of all over the place, a little similar to, to, to Mina in that regard. Wow. <laughs> I've even, I've even lived in Hawaii. So wow. <laughs> that's cool. It's, it's important for, you know, not everybody has the, the straight A to B journey where they go from school to totally. dream studio. So hearing about that kind of stuff is great. Cool. Mm-hmm. Allison. Um, currently working with, uh, Alvin and Chris, of course. Um, I guess, I guess, well, I've, I've always worked in games in some capacity after I graduated in, I want to say 2000, like late 2008 or something. I'm not even sure anymore. Um, what does time even mean nowadays? Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, yeah. Last Tuesday, I couldn't remember for the life of me whether or not Monday had already happened. <laughs> it's it's a weird space to be in, but um, yeah, um, I've always been in games. There was a point um, in my career when um, I realized my skill level wasn't where I wanted it to be, and so I ended up going back to school. Um, I got a really cool gig after that, working on a small indie game. Then I ended up with with Chris and Alvin and um, working in cinematics. It's been a really amazing experience. And uh, here I am, stuck at home. (laughs) In the COVID times, fondly remembering the before times. (laughs) Yep. My name's Chris McCormick. I graduated college in 2009. Uh, I actually remember what year it was. then I, I just didn't learn what I needed to learn to be employable. So I floundered around for about a year and a half trying to improve my own skills at home. Uh, eventually decided to go to iAnimate. I think I was in their second class ever, and I was doing that for about two years while I also worked full time. And uh, then I got the uh, animation internship at Pixar in 2013, promptly had to leave Pixar and uh, I've written about this story quite a bit, but went back to just normal jobs, you know, after, you know, kind of living the dream, went back to working in a gym and cleaning floors and bathrooms and things and uh, ate some serious humble pie and then found my way back into the industry working at Telltale Games with Colleen. Uh, And then after that, I got to Blizzard Cinematics, where I've been ever since. Hi, my name is Colleen McMahon, and I graduated animation from California College of the Arts in 2012. I floundered around a little bit working at uh, old folks homes and and moving around until I got a job at Telltale Games working with Chris and uh, after that I made bread uh, and baguettes for uh, Marin County and and Then I moved up to Seattle, where I worked for three years as a character artist and uh, storyboard artist for a uh, Halloween decoration company that made uh, projection art. And when that went under, I worked as a uh, creative uh, associate director at a games company called uh, Storyscape at Fogbank, and then they opened and then folded. 
uh, <laughs> and I'm now currently working for an AR company as a visual designer, but not really. It's more of like an all hats sort of thing. I really love startups and wearing a whole bunch of hats. <laughs> so that's my background. That's where I came from. It's awesome. Okay. So the fun fact, I was a cinematic director at Bob Bank before I left to come join where I am now. No, no way. When, yeah. when, oh, when did you leave Fog Bank? Um, I left February 20. That's going to be 2018. 2018. No, no 2019. No, January. I, I, I replaced you. Yeah. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> I did not do a good job replacing you. Oh, no. You did. Um, Let it that out. <laughs> The team was the team was awesome. Um, you know, Kyle and Eric and ooh. Via. Yeah, yeah, Via. I, I went to college with Via, so. But, uh, wow. She's amazing. Let this be yeah. a lesson to everybody listening how small this industry is. I mean, all all of us are connected in these weird ways that we wouldn't even know. All right, cool. Um, so we we heard a lot of different journeys there. You know that. I mean, most of us wouldn't have guessed that we took the path that we did to get where we are. And we don't know what's coming after this. You know, who knows? Especially with the world doing what it's doing. You know, we never know where we're going to be the next, the next month, let alone the next year. Um, so while you guys were going through all of those experiences, uh, what do you think was, what was the hardest thing for you to, to deal with along that route? Like, not just professionally, but personally, like having to move around all the time, having to, um, you know, losing jobs and trying to find new ones. Is there anything that stands out to you as something that was hard for you to go through that you would like to talk somebody else through that might be going through the same thing? Yeah, actually. Um, after uh, 2008 happened, um, we actually didn't feel it until 2009 or 2010 when we, we were actually working at the same studio. It was an outsourced studio in San Francisco. It was awesome. It was above a subway. So it always smelled like subway. <laughs> now I associate that smell with that studio. Um, but at one point we both lost our jobs at like on the same day at the same time. Oof. And um, we, we were unemployed. Well, Oliver was unemployed for about a year and I was unemployed at that point for like three years and I ended up kind of spiraling into it was an undiagnosed depression but I'm pretty sure I was depressed and anxious like the whole time like I I, I didn't draw or animate for about three years not 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 any real substantive work the entire time and um did you realize that while you were going through it or is this a hindsight revelation um, I knew at the time that I was unsatisfied, but I don't think I personally realized I was actually depressed. Um, so I guess, I guess it's hindsight most likely. Um, cause when you're in the middle of it, you might not even, you might not even realize, yeah. right. Um, but I ended up. The, the way that I got out of it actually was um, Oliver ended up getting a job at an interac interactive experience studio. Um, 
and they needed some freelance animation work. It was literally like 15 hours of work. Um, and uh, I, I did that project for them. He was like, hey, I know an animator. She could probably get it out pretty quickly. And I managed it. And like a few months later, they had um, a game project that um, then I ended up working on for... It started out as like a, what I believe was like a six-month contract, but it turned into like a three-year-long job. And um, just having some animation to work on and being reminded that, like you, Chris, I, my, I didn't learn all the things I needed to learn. Plus, at that point, I was already like three years behind where I could have been yeah. in terms of like just, you know, the 10,000 hours that we all... Are told you know we need to put in to get good at anything um and i realized i was i was still hungry for decent skills and i still wanted to work at big cool company incorporated someday you know <laughs> and so that's that's when i decided to go back to school it was a kind of a slow drag out of it, it took a long time yeah what school did you go to um, animation mentor. Uh, that was the second time. The first time I went to the Art Institute of California at San Francisco, where Oliver and I actually met. And then years later, animation mentor. Right. So your time at college wasn't completely wasted. Which one did you like better, though? <laughs> oh, animation mentor. <laughs> Without a doubt. Like, it was it was a fraction of the price, and um, I I learned a lot more. Um, than I did um, at AI, but um, I was also more prepared to dump everything I had into it. Mm. So there was actually a point where I was both working a 40-hour week and like pretty much being a full-time student. Um, but after that company um, went under, I, I got the opportunity to be a full-time student again at that point because Oliver, thankfully, still had a job. Um, and it freed me up to just completely dump all my skill points into Animation Mentor. Nice. Yeah. It, hey, Oliver. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, I can't say enough about the value of having somebody along with you on that journey. I mean, I, I, I did yeah. at the time and I know that there were, there were things that I, it would have been very hard to get through on my own. So if you mm -hmm. have people along with you, um, really realize how lucky you are because that, that's an, a huge resource. And Absolutely. Alvin and Mina, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of experiences along those lines. <laughs> um, yeah, we do. It's interesting because like, um, when you asked about like challenges we've had along the way, there are multiple challenges, right? And um, maybe I'll bring up some later, but earlier on, um, one of the biggest challenges, uh, because I'm international, was actually being able to get a job in the first place. Because being international, one, um, you have to have graduated, which is expensive even more so for international students. And then uh, there's what we call OPT, optional practical training. So after you graduate, you get like a temporary permit that allows you to get experience in whatever industry you're in. And you have like 90 days total that you can be unemployed. So if you're unemployed for more than 90 days, you get deported. So uh, that pressure was intense because uh, luckily um, I was fortunate and 
right after graduating, I, I had a job lined up. So I, I worked uh, doing facial motion capture for a prominent sports game studio and cleaning up facial motion capture. So I did, I did the facial animation for the characters. But then uh, because my work permit delayed, I lost the job uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't work anymore. And uh, uh, I was living in Novato at the time mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a room. <laughs> I mean, I remember this. My room oh, was so yeah. small that um, I had my mattress. That was my bed. Uh, and to I'd wake up in the morning and I'd fold the mattress out of the way, pull yeah. out my table. Yeah. I had a, like a foldable table and I'd pull that out. And then I'd pull the chair from the corner of the room. And that's why I do most of my work because there was a lovely lady who let me rent a room in her place at the time. She's first jobs, you know. So yeah. you barely have any money, uh, especially when your parents are so far away and it's really expensive. Um, but losing that job was tough because I'm like, damn, I, I have to report to the immigration office how many days of unemployment I have. So like the, the clock is ticking. So you're like, I had this gig that I was lucky to get after graduating um, because of where I was born. It was taken away from me because paperwork takes forever. What do I do? And I, like like Chris said, sometimes it's nice to have a partner. So at the time, uh, me and I had been in a long relationship from college. And Mina was living in Alameda in like her in-laws' house at the time. Yeah. And sisters in-laws. And luckily they had met me. And so I had no job at this point. And I was living in like not the, the, the most supportive environment. Uh, so I was, it was pretty sad. So I asked Mina and her in-laws if I could move into their place. Just because Mina and I had worked together for years. And I wanted somebody who was always working near me so I could stay motivated to like maybe turn my portfolio around and get another gig. And um, luckily, her in-laws a lot. So for, I was still in a tiny room, but I was like sharing this room in their house with Mina. Yep. Um, and um, I had a, a little bit of money. And I remember I was, I was like, I wanted to be as fast as possible. So I took a gamble and I, I bought a bigger monitor because I wanted to have like more things on screen so I could like not have to like switch tabs, which is crazy because you don't have a lot of money, but I'm like, I feel like if I made this decision, it would save me all the time of pulling up my reference and doing this. So I took a risk. And I remember like uh, Mina was living with her grandfather-in-law mm-hmm. who uh, looked at me bringing in this bigger monitor and had this look of like, all oh, these kids just spending money on useless stuff. And I'm like, promise, it's for productivity. Don't judge me. I need this thing to work faster. Uh, but luckily that bit picked, first of all, that bit paid off. And while I was working there, I was able to get, to do work that ended up getting me my, uh, an opportunity in New York. So I went to work as a cinematic animator for an Activision studio in New York, thanks to the work I did when I was staying with Mina. But I didn't have enough cash to travel to New York. So fun story, Mina had to lend me like $3,000 to get a plane flight and book my first apartment on the guys that I'm going to pay back. Right. So like, luckily she loves me and she trusts me. Yeah. So it, for her, it was like, right. Like, yeah. oh, of course, but for me to even get the guts to ask her to do that yeah. was insane because we were just dating, you know what I mean? And it's like, but she trusted me and she lent me 3000 bucks. My parents, this, if they see this is going to be the first time they find out. Sorry, <laughs> 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 mom, dad, Mina is really helpful. I apologize that you found out like this. Uh, but yeah, so she lent me the money, and luckily, um, it was for a contract position, but luckily, I ended up staying there much longer. 
and they paid me the back. I was gonna ask and if you ever paid her back. Little house, though. It's a crazy story there. But yeah, that's that's that fear and that challenge was tough. And I'm really grateful to have friends like Mina who are able to help me when I couldn't help myself. Yeah, and you asked for that help, which is huge. A lot of people are too proud to do that. But you know, it's 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 rarely a case where because somebody gets where they got on their own with no help. You know, there's a lot of vulnerable points along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's one of many. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Colleen, do you have anything to share along those lines of when you were coming up? Yeah, I was I was thinking about um, the uh, the stories of uh, deciding whether or not to go back to school and. I feel like I totally should go back to school, <laughs> but uh, if if school's not an option, uh, what has helped me throughout my career is uh, well at Telltale, I I didn't work as a, a as a chore artist. I was there as a uh, assistant, and then uh, under the guise that if I worked there for a year, I would be a, a chore artist. Chore artists, by and, the way, being uh, the people that uh, take the animators' work and and build the game. Yeah. like a like a cinematic yeah, artist yeah. yeah and uh at my uh at my uh, halloween decoration job uh at atmos effects there i was not hired as an artist i was hired because i was an artist but i was hired as a uh, as customer service mm-hmm. And I worked there, and then I did art on the side, and then I worked my way up, so I was doing my art full-time, and then customer service on the side, and then I was like, no, this is two jobs, guys. <laughs> and this was, uh, and I th- and then transferred over to art full-time. Wow. So uh, you, the person who helped me are the companies who hired me. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones that, that take a shot on you when you don't have, the, the skills oh, and I uh, and and you get your 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 hundred thousand hours <laughs> through, through through tiny little bits uh we'll we'll still trying to pay rent <laughs> yeah. well that's she says a lot about you being able to take you know those weren't you wanted to be an artist at those companies you would have preferred to be hired in as an artist but you took the opportunity to be in the doors and, and use that opportunity to grow and become the artist that you wanted to be. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I was, I, I, I didn't, it did not work at Telltale. <laughs> well, there were other factors there that we know about. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta just keep pushing and, and make bread on the side. <laughs> yeah. Literally. No, really? I, I, I yeah. realize that's a term now. <laughs> Get that bread. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really all about literally taking every opportunity that comes your way because you never know where it's going to lead to. And, and make sure it, it is in there. Make sure you're not just uh, one of the jobs that I turned down was they were like, this is just an office assistant. It's not a stepping stone. And I was like, cool. Thank you for your openness and honesty. I will adjust my resume accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> And and you and I went with the the, the smaller startup that promised uh, it promised that art career eventually, mm-hmm. and it did pay off. Yeah, and here you are. Cool. I don't think we've heard from Oliver on this topic yet. What do you got, man? My journey was pretty um, pretty wild overall. So when I graduated, 
I graduated on a Friday and I had a job on Monday. So, you know, I didn't take any time off. I just, I got kind of lucky like that. You know, it's kind of the dream situation. And so I started and I worked there and it was, it was right around, you know, 2008, 2009. So there was a big financial crisis going on and it didn't necessarily affect the company we were at, but they eventually um, made some bad decisions that resulted in uh, pretty much all of the artists being laid off except for one uh, so that they could finish out the contracts that they had. And that threw me into a situation where, you know, it was like, got to find work, right? Got to make that bread. Um, and I searched for a number of character positions and I did some, some of my first freelance work. Um, and it really wasn't enough. So I had to take a job that wasn't necessarily what I wanted it to be. It was more of like a technical support job um, that, you know, kind of like Colleen, it, it ended up kind of migrating into an actual art job uh, because I had the technical knowledge to, you know, support other people that were using the services that, that I was um, supporting. And then I became sort of a technical support guy. But there was, um, there was a lot of like give and take where I, I kind of just had to let go of what I thought I wanted and take what I could to, you know, support myself. Um, and while I was there, you know, I mentioned I, I know how to program. While I was there, I taught myself to program as a hobby so that I could, you know, make my own games and just have fun with, with the skills that I learned in school. And that turned into another job um, that lasted for about three and a half years. Um, but none of it was ever really what I wanted to do. So uh, it wasn't until, um, you know, this is kind of a wild story, but um, Allison and I were, were crossing a street and uh, we got hit by a car at the same time. The car um, was at the light and just kind of accelerated into us while we were crossing in front of it. Um, and it was really scary. Um, it definitely traumatized me, I think, more than it traumatized her. She she kind of has this power to kind of get over it. She got over it really fast and was I, like... I was a sobbing, crying mess for 10 minutes, and then I never thought about it again, yeah. apparently. And, and I really, it, really, it really hit me. And for weeks, if not months, I was kind of scared to be outside, kind of scared to cross the street, be on the sidewalk. But it had a really big impact on me that I realized, you know everything's really fragile um, and temporary and that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, right? That I had just kind of waffled down this path that was paying the bills and was keeping me supported. But, you know, I had had an opportunity that my parents gave me and my family was super supportive and Allison was super supportive of me trying to do something that I really wanted to do. And I basically started working on my, my 3D art again. Um, I took some, some classes on the side. Uh, I started to pick up some freelance work. Uh, I, won a, I won a contest or I got a, a, you know, like a placement or honorable mention mm -hmm. in a contest online, which got me noticed by an art director. And they offered me some freelance work and I quit my job like immediately to take the work. Um, wow. The job only lasted for two months before they ran out of money uh, because of some other issues, but he came back and got me a second job somewhere else. Um, but I had to take that kind of leap of faith in a way because I realized that I was, 
I kind of sacrificed a lot of my integrity to, you know, support us, which I don't regret at all. But it was one of those things where I had to make those decisions. And then of course, Allison was super supportive of me the whole time, like we kind of been talking about. Um, and I was like, look, I'm going to quit this job that gives us health insurance and other things so I can pursue something that is, I think, going to be ultimately better in the long run. Yeah. And it was, um, but it was, it was a hard decision, but it was one of those decisions where you kind of have to make the calculated, you have to risk. make the, like I could, could have still been at that other company, but I wouldn't have been happy at all. Right. It would have just been a bad decision yeah. ultimately yeah. to stay do, there. Do you think so, you ever would have made that decision without being hit by that car? Um, maybe eventually. Yeah, I would, I would say eventually. Like I probably, a couple years later, maybe. I probably would have. Um, because there were situations at that company where I had I had requested some sort of sabbatical or something to that effect so that I could have a little time to spend on my own work because I've just been working for them for so long. And, you know, as an artist, I wanted to do art. Um, and they weren't interested in necessarily in art because I was more valuable as a programmer, right? So it just made sense. Um, but they kind of ignored my requests on multiple occasions and it seemed like they forgot about me and that contributed a lot to the decisions that I made. I probably, I was there for three and a half years. I probably would have been there for five or six, mm -hmm. you know, or something would have happened where, you know, Allison got a job because we were in San Francisco at yeah. the time. So she might've still gotten the job in Southern California. Um, and I would have been like, okay, this is a, this is a good opportunity for me to let go of something I don't really want. You know, and I think a lot of people wind up in those situations, especially as artists where, you know, entry level jobs require, you know, two years experience, you know, or a ship's triple A title. And it's like, how, how am I going to get, how am I going to get that? And it's like, again, like Colleen said, you got to have, you got to find those companies that are willing to kind of have faith in you. And I decided that I had faith in myself, which was a hard move to make. That, Let's that's, be real. That's a really hard. <laughs> it was not easy. It's, it's interesting um, how painful, traumatic experiences can get a lot of pain. It can make you work through a lot of pain real quick. Like if you, if that had not happened and you yeah. stayed at that job for another three, four years, you know, it's almost like consolidating what you would have gone through in those years all in one incident that made you just kind of flip a switch. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm sure it wasn't comfortable to go through, but it got a lot of work done real quick. You know, it got you, got you to no, make that decision. It's, it's true. Yeah. We should all be hit by cars. I don't recommend. No, but, but there is, there's value in what, what Chris has said is that like, it's kind of like a pressure release, right? I think we as people spend a lot of time kind of just like internalizing a lot and we just make excuses for the situation we're in all the time, uh, which is what I did. I made excuses like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. This is, you know, it's important. It's not that bad. I have friends at the job. You can say all these things, but it wasn't until something really kind of primal happened mm -hmm. and it kind of opened my mind and, and it took off like all the, the fetters that were holding me back and, and I could look at the situation that I had and I had an honest thought in my own mind that was like, what if, what if something horrible had happened and I, you know, I died, would I have been happy with what I had done this far? And the answer was no. And that's when I knew, you know, I had to do something. And so, yeah, I do think sometimes the push can come from someone you love who's, who tells you to take a risk. Sometimes it comes from a car, <laughs> but 
you have to be willing to to accept those um, those pushes when they happen. Yeah. Or or get plowed out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's funny. I can, I can. Thankfully, there were no serious injuries. <laughs> yes. I, I I can see a lot of parallels between that and I've written about uh, the ending of my marriage. Uh, there's a lot of similarities to it where it was a massive traumatic event that made me make a lot of changes very quickly. Uh, it was, it was kind yeah. of a crash course in how to deal with pain and self doubt and how to rely on others to help pull me out of it because you guys and a bunch of other friends and family really pulled me out of that place. And I think I've come out of it in a better spot just as a person. So, you know, while, I would never want to go through that again. And I'm sure you would never like to get hit by a car again. You know, you, with time <laughs> and distance, you can find silver linings that make you appreciate those things. Very true. Yeah. Great. Um, so now that, you know, we've all kind of, we're farther along in our journeys than, than what we've been talking about. Uh, a thing that I know plagues me is imposter syndrome. And uh, this has been talked about a lot recently uh, on, online, and um, I've written about it as well. But there's a point where you get to where you wanted to be in your career, but it's not necessarily everything that you thought it was going to be, or at least you don't feel the way about it that you thought you would. Um, and I've noticed that uh, kind of amplified now that we're working from home. And in this room, I'm cinematics animator at Blizzard and you know it's something that other people might look up to but then I go to another room in the same house and it's just it's just me you know it's it's just Chris it's the guy that that got dumped it's the guy that's gone through all these these struggles it's it's the guy that's um losing family members at a rate that he would rather not you know it, it's it's a weird dichotomy to deal with both of those being me. Um, so do you guys share that experience? Mia's <laughs> shaking her head, yeah. Very much so. All right, if you, if you could talk about um, that. I think the biggest one for me is, um, and, and this one, I don't necessarily recommend people do, but like, one thing I do quite often is I would like look at my career, look at like, okay, I, you know, the moment I started like having an interest in art, like actually recognizing it as a career and pursuing it all the way up to present day, what did that look like? And then I would go online where I would look at Alvin and I would compare with people and be like, okay, for them, what, what does that also look like? And what is their career like? And that it would immediately just sink me into the rabbit hole of just looking, going like, oh, dang, I didn't expect myself to be here or I expected myself to get at this point a little sooner. And it would, it would constantly, you would just poke at those things so often. Um, and so for me, for example, like I could say easily that I've worked in video games, I worked in children's books, I worked, I've done a bunch of things, but I couldn't necessarily say like, you know, that, uh, for example, when, when I was in college, I expected, oh, when you get into the industry, it's going to be like this magical experience where you're like, I've made it. I'm going to be working with other passionate people. We're going to make amazing, awesome things. And it's going to be, and we're going to revolutionize. You would expect experiences to go 
one direction, but in many ways, at least for me, they went the complete opposites, where either it was uh, like how people viewed artwork or how I was treated personally, or even like uh, just when a personal incident would come up, how the company would respond to them, whether it was positive or a negative thing. Um, <clears throat> and so for me, I just had enough of those that after a certain point, I think the biggest one uh, in regards to just it being a negative thing was, uh, you know, and, and Alvin knows when, when I should stop or when I shouldn't. Um, so, so, so he's got me yeah. back here. But um, just as an example for one of them is at some point I was working for a company, you know, doing, doing the thing that I was like, yes, I finally made it under the position of character design. I finally put this thing like, in my in my trope and uh that ended up being the worst experience by far the biggest one being that uh at a certain point my grandparents had passed away right like the last of one of my grandparents had passed away and i told the company that hey this really shook me up i'm gonna need a couple of days you know, or at least a day i'm sorry i can't get to work today and I was, for one thing, I, I don't remember actually if I was let go or if I quit. I think I was let go. But ultimately, the company afterwards started to harass me, saying like, oh, yeah, you know, you didn't perform well because you said that, oh, you know, you were in the middle, in the middle of moving from one state to another, which I was. Oh, you say that your grandpa died, which he oh, did. Wow. But they, they viewed it as like, a, oh, you're just making excuses. Can I can I add that? So it. so, this for me was one of the the one of the saddest period of like our career because like what Mina is trying to say is like she had an expectation for what the industry could be and like having me who's in the same industry and comparing what my work experiences are versus hers and finally making it as a character designer and uh, the way imposter syndrome comes here is because sometimes you feel like an imposter because of thoughts you have personally, right? Sometimes you feel like you're not good enough. Sometimes you feel like you're worse than everybody else. Sometimes you feel like you don't deserve the position. Yeah. But in some cases, other people make you feel like that because of just not necessarily being good people, not necessarily knowing how to run a team, inexperience on their part as well. So it's not always your fault. In Mina's case, and at this particular job, it, 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 there were signs of this mistreatment at the beginning. I think she was totally mistreated. And again, this is my perspective, right? And our, our perspective. But it started with, she had these really intense deadlines, right? Which are fine, right? Because uh, we always have intense deadlines. But whenever she'd get her work to a point where she needs reviews, the person who was supposed to give her reviews was never available. But the work was such that you can't move on until this, this, progress is approved, right? It needs to be approved before it can be implemented or applied or affect the other designs that rely on it. But this person, this individual was never available to do those approvals. And when at the end of the day, like at 5 p.m., they finally had the chance to, like this is like an hour or half an hour before you have to leave work, right? They finally give me a feedback and sometimes there's changes that need to happen, right? And so she'd be like, yeah, I expect these changes by tomorrow morning. And so Mina, 
having finally got this position that she really likes in the beginning, she, of course, she'd come home and she'd just work all night because it's like she loves the job. She wants to have a great career because it's something she loves. And she's not being paid for any of this time. And she's busting her ass off to get this work done. And she's ready by tomorrow morning. And she doesn't get feedback till 6 p.m. But apparently from her, you know, the individual who's approving this work standpoint, she's always behind schedule. She's like, she's not working fast enough, but really it's, it's interesting because Mina, who's trying to be a good employee, is looking after this individual as everything they're saying is true, if that makes sense, because like, this is her boss. So for her, she's like, I'm slow. Oh, I'm, I'm going to try to be faster because she's just trying to fix every issue and she's busting her ass, but she's, she's being stressed out. She's working hundreds of unpaid hours. She's not getting the feedback she needs. To make it worse, this is the kind of jobs where like, if she's sitting waiting for feedback, she won't get paid because they're so anal about their timesheets that you have to write what you were doing yeah. every single second. And when she's saying like, I was waiting for feedback for like an hour and a half, it's like, you were supposed to find something to do, but I can't, I, I have nothing. You know what I mean? The person who does the assignments is unavailable. Yeah. She can't just do, I can't just, she can't just do engineering work because there's no artwork to be done. Yeah. And it gets worse because Mina mentioned her grandfather died, but actually both her grandparents died and they didn't die at the same time. They died within like two months of one another mm-hmm. where, uh, who went first? Grandma. So, um, and Mina is close to her grandparents. Like you can imagine how different family members have had big influence in your life. Her grandma passes away. And I ended up missing the funeral because I had to move. When the, we were literally in the process of we left our work in New York. We had decided to quit. I put in my two weeks. We're in the process of packing to move to California. Um, Mina's grandma passes away. I get a, I get a job that requires me to start right away. Yeah. So I have to get on a plane. Uh, Mina's parents and family have to get to New York. I missed the funeral for one of the few grandparents I have or have met, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's just, it's very intense. Mina starts this job late because grandmother died. She's working, she's doing her job. Um, they're not giving her feedback. And then at some point, I think maybe uh, her grandpa is really sad. He passes away shortly after. When Mina lets them know that he, her grandfather passed away. And you know, it was, it was tough because Mina was upset because of all this pressure and delayed feedback. Like her supervisor was very rude. So even she even felt uncomfortable mentioning that her grandfather passed away because it felt too soon, too close. But this this is just a fact. When Mina told her her boss that her grandfather passed away, the response was not what you would expect. It was like you're full of excuses. First, your grandmother passes away, then your grandfather, and then like you're saying that I'm not giving you feedback fast enough, and it was like. I, I don't even know how a human being would respond yeah. like that. And, you know, I'd always expected uh, maybe like, you know, because of like different genders, like if she had a male supervisor who didn't really understand, you know, like, but this was a lady. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, a, was the boss. Yeah. But it was like the worst experience we'd ever had with no empathy whatsoever. So Mina was yeah. busting her ass because she took a week to tell them she was trying to like work. She'd come home really sad, crying sometimes because, like, memories. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's intense. And, uh, were you able, you, you, Mina did not, you, did you go to the funeral? Did you? No, no, I purposely she didn't go to that funeral because she was trying to bust her ass for this job. 
right? Until eventually it was getting, it was bothering her enough so... that she, that she, that she finally told her her soup, and this is what, this is how they responded, right? That like, uh, and 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 then um, I'll never forget that when Mina mentioned this, this lady had a list. She had a list of things. Uh, it was like, oh, you came to work late on this day. You said your grandmother died on this day. You you said your grandfather died on this day. And it's all, you said that like, you hadn't got feedback on this day. And she had this long list of like points against Mina that are actually helpful. And it's fascinating because she wrote this very aggressive attacking email. And of course, Mina's really upset. So I read this and I'm seeing all this exchange. And at some point I told Mina like, just stop responding. Let me do the talking for you. Cause I'm not, cause of course she has all this like emotion going on because all the horrible stuff that's happening in her life at the time that I told her, don't worry, I'm going to talk to your boss. Right. And her boss starts to come down because she's talking to me quickly realizing that she's, she's, what's the word? She's harassing Mina. It was total harassment. I don't know what it was about Mina's presence, but it was a hundred percent harassment because as soon as I started talking, her language was a hundred percent different. Yeah. Right. And it was at the point where like at some point during this company, Mina started to, to do designs for their brand. She had to work on their brand image. She had to do like banner designs, graphic designs, all kinds of designs. Right. And when Mina had, uh, when Mina had quit the company, she was trying to write a description of what her role was. And on LinkedIn, she had written that, um, I had to work on different designs to help the company's brand. You know what I mean? The, the, the look of the brand. And, and because Mina's job was character design, at some point, like this is after she'd quit like a week, her boss sends an email. I just saw on LinkedIn that you said you worked on our brand. How dare you? You were a character designer. Da, 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 da. It was very, it was, it was one of the most harassing emails I'd ever seen. And it was as simple as Mina's response was like, Oh, I'm sorry. If, if anything in the language was like maybe inappropriate, or could you could you please recommend what you'd rather I write? Right. It was as simple as like maybe I worded it wrong, which I didn't see how it was worded yeah. wrong, and it was like how how can I how can I word this correctly, right? But she just kept hounding Mina to the point that like during this exchange, where of course Mina is trying to show that she'd worked for this long time at this job doing character designs, graphic designs website banner designs all kinds of work right she's trying to use to get the credit she deserves but the process of getting this clarification was so frustrating and so upsetting that eventually we're like you know what let's just delete this thing from linkedin it's not worth her, her emotions yeah. it's not worth the the strain it's putting on our lives so we just literally you'll never see this on mina's portfolio you'll never see it on her linkedin we just decided to leave that yeah. that yeah, section out of her life yeah. I'm sorry to hear all of that. Okay. Coming out the other side of that, is there any is it is there anything that could have been done differently? Is there a way that you if if you had to counsel somebody going through the same thing, what would you tell them? This is very upsetting. I know, and, and if, if, I, it's, I, if you'd rather not stop talking about it, it's okay. No, no worries, no worries. I'd I'd rather not like filter. Um, I would say, I would say if a company is treating you poorly, and, and if you suspect that, even if it's a job that you feel like 
you know, you work really hard for and you really, really want this. If they're not treating you well, you address it or you like you you bring it up to some attention and then if and, you know you look out for yourself because certainly you think that the company should have interest like good interest in you but that's not always going to be the case so always you know try to look out for yourself best you can even if it's with the job position <clears throat> that you really want and Truthfully, if the job title is the thing that's like keeping you grounded on like a terrible like work experience, there's nothing saying that you can just quit that job and then go and make that thing, make that position yourself. I think that was the biggest highlight or big biggest like uh, light bulb moment for me was that uh, I wanted to do character designs for stories. So, and no one was necessarily giving me those, so I figured I'd just start my own stories and design my own characters. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you mind if I add something to that? I think for me, witnessing that, um, like what Mina said, like look up to yourself, right? But also be careful when you compare your situation to that of others. Yeah. Because you don't have the full context. So what made Mina's situation harder to bear was that when she was comparing to my situation, I had great supervisors. Mm-hmm. I had great teams, great leadership. I've been 10 minutes late to work, even half an hour late to work. Never been an issue. Mm-hmm. It was like, I explained why, and I stayed late to get the work done. I mean, as five minutes late, this lady put it down on a list. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just, it, it's completely different mindsets, but it's the idea that the companies we work for, it's not just the company, it's people running the company. And these people have just as many flaws as we do as human beings. The same way I can get into an argument with somebody I love and I'm doing my best to be perfect, you know, uh, the same people who run studios are not perfect. And the individual may have issues, may have biases, may have lack of training that may directly affect the employees, including you. So in this case, for me, from every single standpoint, the, if Mina was late once, she never had a conversation with Mina about why or how or whether it was an issue, although she was keeping this information down, right? Never asked, never checked. You know what I mean? When Mina's parents died away, she didn't try to, it's like when there were problems, there was never any effort put in to support, to control. There was no value put in, in the employees. And Mina is not the only one at the place who got this experience, right? So I was fortunate that I worked for bigger companies that had the structures that trained their supervisors. Mina was in a situation where an individual just had a lot of money and was able to invest in their own business. So her experience, of course, when you think back to it, varied. Yeah. So if you're going through these horrible experiences, it's not always your fault. And sometimes uh, if you have other people to talk to in-depthly to try and help you through that, maybe. But sometimes if it's really hurting you personally, maybe the best thing for you is to get out of that situation. Right. Yeah, that I'm sure that's tough when, you know, especially if you're newer to the industry and you wonder if you leave this job, how is that going to impact your chances for the next one? How's it going to impact your reputation? Yeah. So how how did you navigate those fears? Because if all this is happening to you from outside forces, there's not necessarily anything that you could have done better in that situation. But did it ever feel like it was your fault and you didn't know? 
how that was going to affect your ne your next opportunity? Or did you know that it was kind of something that was out of your control? She felt so, like it was her fault the whole time. Whole time, my fault. I had pulled out there multiple times, especially during that time that I looked and said, maybe industry is not for me. Maybe I should switch careers completely. Maybe I'm not good at art. Maybe it's, it was a mistake and I should drop it all while I'm still young enough. Um, and that feeling doesn't necessarily go it's away. Yeah. It's more something where you just have to keep persevering and keep pushing yourself to get those new experiences to like right over those terrible experiences. Yeah. Does anyone else have anything to add on that topic? Any experiences? To anybody in that situation, there is, there's, yeah, get only thing is get out of there. It's not your fault. If you talk to them and you, and, and they don't listen, fuck it. There's, uh, it's, it isn't your fault. There wasn't anything you could have done. And there, and, and as long as you keep trying, there's always going to be more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Oliver and Allison, it sounds um, like you had something. <laughs> Um, I think I, I, hmm. imposter syndrome was something I used to feel more um, like that was probably how do I describe it right before I went back to school an animation mentor um, I was working at a studio where none of us were terribly experienced at what we were doing and i spent some of my time being angry about um the lack of experience um of course on my own part because i didn't i didn't feel like i was in a good place to be able to pull my own weight most of the time and i was also of course frustrated with the lack of experience on on other people's parts um not my my coworkers, if we're being honest, um, but like you know, leadership type lack of, lack of experience, and um, I'll say this right now: anger is an incredibly useful tool. <laughs> don't let people take it away from you. You know, don't let it consume you. But like, it it can be redirected into something more productive. Um, so I spent like a good chunk of my time at that studio feeling like a lot of this is my fault. I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I want to feel like I know what I'm doing. And that's where animation mentor came in. But, but now I don't these days feel like an imposter so much as I'm deeply acutely aware of my weaknesses in as an animator like um of course you know i'm surrounded at work by amazing people well not right now we're not but i'm i'm like <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm i'm aware that in terms of experience i'm more junior and in terms of my skill level i'm more junior than most of the people that i work with so i'm like trying to take advantage of other people's skills and ask for help. And something that was <laughs> something I still struggle with is I don't want to feel like I'm a burden um, in terms of asking for help from other animators. So although, yeah, I do ask for help, 
I don't want to feel like I need another animator to drag my broken body across the finish line on any of my shots, you know? Um, but um, that was that was actually an ongoing conversation that I had with, um, with Jeremy, actually, is about um, learning to accept my skill level where it is currently and just keep working on it. Because, you know, you see like, oh, I want to be up on that mountain peak with all those other cool people, you know, like, it's so lonely at the top of Olympus. Can I join you? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. But, but just being like, no, like, this is where I am right now. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with where I am right now. But I, I can, I can keep working on it. And all of that is on me. And it, it feels good to be able to claim that kind of control over my own skill level. Um, I guess, I guess that's kind of how I deal with the feelings of imposter syndrome. Like, no, this is, this is mine. It's not that I don't belong. It's that, it's that I feel the lack in my, in my skills and I just, I just need to work on that. And that's on me. That's an impressive amount of self-awareness. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a very exciting, almost eighteen months. <laughs> wow, it's been that long already. It's it's been mm. almost in oh. August. Allison, yeah. question for you. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that like now, you're learning to like take control of this and be more aware to where you are and actually appreciate the amount of effort you're doing. You're putting in about that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, like, how long, because you, you make it seem like more recently you've come to this realization, right? So it mm -hmm. makes it sound like you had gone through a, a larger part, maybe not feeling this amount of control, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think allowed you to take, was it, was it the support from friends? Was it the support from people you looked up to? What allowed you to... Take, make that step from like, maybe I'm not an imposter, maybe this is where I am and I am growing. And maybe that feeling is coming from your awareness of where you need to grow towards. Like what helped you make that transition? A lot of repeated conversations with like the same four or five people who, who I found who were most understanding. Of course, Oliver was one of those. Um, and then and then everybody else was, um, was at work, you know. Um, uh, supervisors, a um, couple close friends that I made. Um, and I, I tend to respond best to, let's see, what's the term like <laughs> a, a, a velvet wrapped hammer or something like that? <laughs> That's my favorite kind of feedback. Cause I want, I want people to be honest with me. I want them to have enough respect for me as a person to be honest with me, but I also don't want them to be mean about it, right? <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of feedback I enjoy the most. And um, getting getting honest feedback that is not unkind yeah. and getting encouragement um, and honestly reassurance. Like I was, I was, um, I was getting feedback on a shot the other day and I had I had an extra um, extra
extra WebEx meeting with someone after dailies. And I was like, I feel, and this is only a few days ago. I was like, I feel bad about the fact that I, I, I still, I still feel like I need this much help, you know? Um, and the person I was talking to was like, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. This is fine. Yeah. Like, um, and, and just hearing from other people that like, you're doing, you're doing good work. We know you have these areas of improvement, but we know you can do it and we'll help you get there. It's, I think, what helped me move that along. And there were a bunch of conversations where, like, I was, it was on repeat. I was like, I'm feeling this way again. Can we go for a walk? You know, <laughs> like, I got I to gotta get through it. And everybody's been really great about it. Yeah, yeah we've been on a couple of those I'm walks. And they're, they're cathartic both ways. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about this thing, this stuff, not because we somehow know better. Than anybody who's listening it's not because we you know have some secret it's because we've gone through it this is just from us crying the tears oh another another additional piece of advice not not advice but like to to further answer alvin's question um having those conversations with people you actually respect <laughs> because you know we don't we don't worry about the opinions of people we don't respect generally, but like it, it does, it does have a bad effect on us when we're shunned by people we respect. Right. So, um, having, having that kind of, that kind of back and forth with someone who's at a skill level and also has the right amount of kindness. Cause there were points in the past where I tried to have those kind of, kinds of conversations with people and then I realized, like, they, not to sound like melodramatic, but they, they had not earned the right for me to share this kind of intimacy with them, right? Like, it's not that they were bad people. It's just that, you know, like, we go through life sharing our stories with others. And, you know, some people are just on the wavelength that you need. And figuring out what kind of encouragement you can get from different people will help you sort of organize what you need at different points in time. So if, if one person is really good at handling, like helping me with like imposter syndrome type feelings, I need to know to go to that person. Or if another person's really good with like technical work, maybe I'll go bug them, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I feel like an important part of life is figuring out or an important part of development, I should say, is figuring out like who can offer like the best kinds of advice and encouragement at different points in your life and what you need. Because not everybody is suited to every different kind of problem either, right? right? To help you. For for people who don't have a support network, and 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 it is statistically more likely for people who who people need a mentor and people need people in a person in the industry like a spokesperson or a person to give them a hand up. And if you don't have that, the, the problems that you're dealing with is are not going to be imposter syndrome. The problems that you're going to be dealing with are, should I just give up? Mm. And, and the, there is no answer to that. That's a personal question that you need to answer every single day that, and 
but the the checks and balances that I have in my mind, if I'm like, do I want to be here, uh, is is don't get angry at other people when you start comparing. Like they put in their hours, they got their own story. They there's there's other there's a thousand different reasons why their story is different than yours. And what and are you growing where you are? And that's been the main difference of why 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 I'm not doing jobs or why I'm doing jobs. Like I'm at this company, yeah, I'm working eight hours for customer service and then drawing another four on top of that. But you know what? I am growing. And and to that point, they were very responsive when I showed them the list of my overtime hours and how it was like breaking me mentally and physically. And they were like, oh cat, holy cow. <laughs> and then they fixed that situation. And I've and I've been in a couple ones that are good and better than that. And so when you when you did go through when you were telling me that story, I was like, you were you, you did exactly like what you were supposed to do. They were just horrible people. <laughs> uh, Colleen, um, you mentioned like not so it, it's funny because that advice for me um, is kind of foreign because I guess me and my community, uh, my friends, the people who are in the industry, we didn't really have these conversations about like what the experiences were because when you're younger, sometimes you're blinded by the need to be better at what you do. But I'm not necessarily comparing different work environments, different experiences. Sometimes those things come naturally, but when you haven't experienced a lot of maybe different jobs, you don't know the differences of like, you know, like right now I've been to a couple of different studios, so it's easy to see the differences. But for me, one of the biggest issues I had, and I could, I could call this one of support and one of like imposter syndrome is like, I never had a support system, right? Uh, Mina is my support system, right? Literally. But in the sense that um, being so far away from family, right? My family is all the way in Uganda, not being able to call them. All I had was my ability to do my work. It's all I had. It's the only thing I've ever known. Uh, Mina can tell you I've worked crazy oh, yeah. hours over the years. It's the only thing that was consistent and would give me results that would maybe keep me calm, right? So I'd started to build a career based on the results and the success of the work and the effort that I put in, which luckily in the beginning was very successful. Where it's like, oh, I got this job, I got that job, I got this job, I did well here, I did well here, I did well there. But you just talked about you had worked crazy hours and it was not helping you mentally, right? I had no conflict for working crazy hours, it's, right? So um, to give you an example, when I was in New York, I was working uh, full-time jobs, which sometimes had overtime. I was taking a class or two at the same time, and I was working on a short film with friends at the same time. And I was doing this because I felt like the only way I could get the jobs that I dreamed of, which was another problem of, I was measuring my success based on a place, not a quality level. You know what I mean? Like, my brain, for some reason, had brainwashed me that, like, Pixar is, like, the place not realizing that Pixar is just a place that has great animators that do good work and there are other places that have great animators that do good work. And Pixar's animators are popular because we know their work. We're familiar with what they do. doesn't mean it's person X in Missouri who isn't as good. You know what I mean? And and that was a problem because it was always like, I need to get more because if I'm not there, I'm not good enough. So because I'm not there, I'm constantly 
pushing. And the funny thing is that apart from the last two Christmas breaks I've taken, uh, which are like one week and two weeks, that is the most since I started animating I've ever taken off in my entire career. Mm-hmm. So uh, I reached a point where like uh, imposter syndrome, I feel the most imposter syndrome I've ever felt right now because I'm at a place where I love and respect the people I work with. And I feel like I am under delivering, especially given the work from home situation, right? Ever since working from home, I can't explain it, but I feel like I've just been slower, right? And to make it worse, it's because like I've always been able to go and I know I'm getting older, but I've had more headaches. I've had days where I wake up and I'm like, I, I don't want to animate. I, I don't want to animate. But like, because of current life situations where like I lost a lot of money taking care of my dad, we moved, I can't not animate, yeah. right? So it's crazy because I don't, I don't want to do it. If I, if I could take like a month off, I would, but responsibilities necessitate that I do. So I have to get my ass in that seat and do the stuff I have to do. But maybe it's psychological, maybe it's exhaustion, whatever it is, I, I, I'm constantly aware that like, I've done stuff like this faster. But the problem is I'm spending so much time being like, this usually doesn't take this long, what's going on? And I'm like freaking out, which is not helping. And then this ate me up, but then luckily, I'm in a place where I have support so I can reach out to people. And the wonderful people I have around, some uh, in this call, you know, uh, uh, usually I can talk to them and be honest, which is which is super important because no one can help you if you're sugarcoating. So like, like Alison has mentioned, like in the past, having what she now describes as depression but not being aware of it, I'm like, maybe this is what I'm going through. And I have to be honest with, because I know there's like an image people like to maintain, but I have to be honest that I feel shitty. I'm having a hard time focusing. I feel horrible. I'm just sad all the time. As much as that means... I don't know what people expect me to say, but also seeing these individuals respond like that's okay. They they share that they've gone through the same is so empowering. But then there's another problem. Do I believe them? Uh, that's the <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, and I've had um, uh, very recently I've been panicking about a shot I had to deliver, right? And one of the first feedback I got was like, "Oh, this is looking great," and then some some things to change and i'm like are they just telling me this is looking great because they know i'm kind of stressed out and they can feel it or is it really looking great and i spend the whole day telling me like, do you think my work is okay like do you think like this guy's because like because so many people are so awesome and i'm sure other people are going through similar uh when i hear more than one person telling me that stuff is going okay i'm like did this guy tell that guy that they have a meeting so they're all like they're all like trying to help me and like oh, yeah. it, 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 in a way I could I end up turning this positive energy into negative energy and that doesn't help anybody but then uh, at the end of the day no matter how I felt still having that those positive things they said in the end win because no matter what I feel they say those nice things and that positive energy always gets me. so I think that the reason I'm still able to go is because no matter how horrible I feel, uh, I think the only thing I can control is how much effort I put in. So if I'm working and I'm, I am honestly doing the best I can, and that is slower than I want, maybe I have to be like, I have to take Alson's mindset and be like, maybe I'm just slow right now and I need to get faster, right? And if there are consequences to that, fine. But at least I'm doing the best I can because no one can take that away from me. 
So that's just something I'm figuring out. Still not perfect. One day I'm fine, one day I'm not. And working from home, being an extrovert, <laughs> I used to rely so much on like, hey, Allison, do you want to go for a walk? But like looking over, <laughs> and when I felt tired, I could look over to, and this is something I never appreciated until working from home. It's like working with Mina as an artist is great, but at times when I'm exhausted, or I feel like taking a break, just looking over and seeing people working, somehow gives you back some energy, you know what I mean? Just looking over and like, everyone's concentrating, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Let's go. you know what I mean? I don't have that. So you kind of like, <laughs> It's kind of look over Nina's drawing. I'm like, I can't draw like that. <laughs> no, instead you've got a, a fridge and a bed like yeah. ten feet away. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, and, and 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 yeah, and like so. I'm gonna come honest. I'm addicted to frosted flakes, and uh, I have oh, yeah. a fridge, and I have milk and cereal right next to it. And frosted flakes makes me feel good. I have never had any more frosted flakes than I have in this, <laughs> in this last like month. <laughs> because every time I'm like having like these thoughts, I just get the bowl. And I'm like, <laughs> I've I've learned that I literally cannot have junk food in the house, especially right now. I, I, I have I, if I yep. need if I really need a snack, I've got to go get one, which is highly discouraged right now. Airports? So yeah. that's been how I deal with that. You're gonna get burned out. Oh my goodness. You're going to look back on this time and be like, COVID-19 tastes like Frosted Flakes, man. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to share that, like, before this stay at home, I was in a good place where I was doing my work fast and I liked what I was doing, that um, I took up an extra freelance gig. And then they told us to stay at home. And doing the freelance work and my day job at the same place was so taxing. I've never felt that like I get up in the morning, I'm like, I, I just I, I'm like, can you believe I have to work four more hours for this other thing because I committed to that, you know what I mean? After like being exhausted like crazy and not being able to go to the gym or like just my routine is off. And uh, for the longest time I was in denial. I was like, nah, I'll be fine. I can adapt. But adapting takes time. So the freelance work was taking so much out of me because at the end of the day, I had to make sure I could do my day job, right? And on one day, um, it was like a Friday, I was able to do my day job for the morning, but the whole afternoon, my head was shaking uncontrollably. I told Chris about this. And at that point, no matter what pride I had, uh, or fear I had to, to let anyone down because my head was shaking uncontrollably, it's happened once before, and it was in an extremely stressful situation. So mm-hmm. I, right now, I figure that's my brain telling me that I'm at my limit. And I was like, I'm sorry, guys. I emailed the guys. And I was doing a freelance work call. I gave them all the assets, and I told them, I think I'm physically hurting myself. I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? And so I guess, like, you can burn yourself out. And I had never been there, but I feel like all those years of sleeping, <laughs> three hours, two hours, caught up with me and I'm at the point where like my body needs I need to take care of that so it's funny my priorities have changed so now I'm trying to sleep more rest more eat better and those things are now helping me feel better about myself uh, but I'm also lucky that like you know I'm surrounded by all these people that were able to help but this is the craziest uh, in terms of insecure and uh, imposter I've ever felt but you know it sounds like the cost of admission is so much 
for to get to places and i see people like like literally hurting themselves do you think that's just the cost of admission for everybody that just nobody tells you about that's interesting because because everybody they tell you everybody has imposter syndrome mm -hmm. right I have thoughts, but like I'm not the most experienced person in the room to answer that. But I feel like the my imposter syndrome. I can't speak for everyone, but mine comes from a place where I just want to do my best, right? And in my brain, I have an idea of what my best looks like. And when you're when you're surrounded by people who you feel are doing better than you consistently, right? And here's the the truth is, I don't really have context for how other people are doing. I'm not like watching their work. I'm not checking their hours, you know? And that's the problem. I don't have that context, but I know personally when I'm at a place like I am right now that I appreciate and I want to keep and I want to maintain and, and, and do well, right? When I feel like I'm not doing well, that's when I feel like I'm imposter because it's a place I feel deserves the best. So when you feel like you're not giving the best, I feel like maybe other people should take that job and do the, do the best because my best is not best enough if that makes any sense so it comes, it comes from a point of like love and admiration and respect for the place that you don't think it deserves people and are willing to give it their best so when you feel, when i feel like i'm not delivering or stuff is affecting i tend to look at other people and they seem fine i'm like damn maybe they need someone else who's fine right but i don't have the context so i feel like it comes from that imaginary need you think the the place needs right and I can't necessarily say that that's going to go away because in some ways I feel like that keeps me humble, you know, it keeps me in check. So I don't think it's ever going to go away because I think I'm always going to want to do my best. And when I'm not doing my best, I'm always going to feel like an imposter because I feel like I should be doing my best. I think more so I need to learn to handle it better or learn to handle the desire to need to do better differently, right? So I feel like imposter syndrome can be an experience, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be a negative experience. It can be experience where you're like, I guess I feel like I'm imposter because I have a need to be better. Keep working at that, surround myself and put in place the steps to get better, right? Versus I'm an imposter, I will never get there and give up. I feel like at the end of the day, you have a choice of what to do with that feeling. And some people try and figure it out themselves. Uh, and like, I'm at the stage where like, I didn't have enough experience or information to deal with it, so I reached out to people who were more informed than I was. And I got information I didn't have. Or like I'm like, wow, I guess like this is a thing that other people I'm not unique. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> other people have gone through the same thing and survived and worked 50, 80, so many years in different industries. So if they can do it, yeah. I can do it. Just to add on to that very quickly, um, like on top of everything that Alvin is saying, I feel like the other thing that also tends to latch onto the imposter syndrome is when you, like you as a person, you overwhelm yourself with either the things that you still need to grow on or compare yourself with other people who have gone far, farther and longer than you have. Um, just those two things alone, like you can easily look and say, oh, you know, I, you know, using myself as an example, I can say, Oh yeah, you know, my, I don't know, my anatomy of like old people is 
pretty spot on. I can I can design old people very well, but the moment you ask me to design like a four year old, I'm like, <gasps> and because there's so many more things besides just body proportions you got to consider, and so it's easy to see all the areas you're lacking, and get overwhelmed by that and have that translate into imposter syndrome because it becomes so many things and you doubt yourself into will I be able to not only overcome this but will I be able to overcome this in the limited time that I have to perform um so and that and that's I feel like that's something that's very real um that and that just I feel like also doesn't go away but you just find nooks and crannies and tricks of how to overcome those yourself or at least get Pass it, you know, not focus on the imposter syndrome. And we always seem to focus on the things that we can't do, but we we don't give ourselves the credit for the things that we can. You know, all of us have certain strengths as artists and as people, um, and it's important to every once in a while reflect on those. Stay humble about them, obviously, but don't forget that you do have things to offer, and. So if I'm having trouble with the shot, it's not necessarily because I'm uh, not skilled enough to do it, but maybe I'm not tapping into the part of myself that, you know, that's the thing that I can bring to the work and give that a shot instead of just always thinking about what other people would do or what other people would want to see. Because, um, you know, ultimately you're hired as an artist for your abilities, your sensibilities. And... Give yourself credit for those. That's what got you there in the first place. Yeah, I think um, just to touch on like Colleen's point about, she made a really great point, is, is part of growing kind of overworking yourself? Does everyone have to kind of go through that to achieve something? And I, I think it stems from a real, um, not everyone has the, the luxury of being able to sit around and do nothing for 24 hours a day. Most people have to work a job or commit to something else but they also want to be artists. So you have to find that extra four hours a day to work on your art, or maybe you want it to be eight hours a day, right? And you're working huge amounts of time and it becomes normal because you lack that balance, the growth. The only way you can find growth is in that overworked time. And there's a conflation between the idea that there is something that is balance. Um, and I think a lot of artists just go through the requirement of having to put forth a lot of extra hours to get there and that becomes normal right like alvin said uh, adapting and change and getting used to routine takes time and when you spend six months working 21 hours a day that feels yeah. normal right and if when you step back from that and you do eight hours a day you feel like a loser you feel like you're wasting time like there's still so many hours in the day like i'm i, I could be learning right now and i'm not it's true. And, it's overwhelming, right? And I think that hits really hard. Now everyone's working from home. Like, you know what I feel like when I freelance all the time, you work eight hours a day, but then you think, well, I could just work a little more because I'm already home, I'm already yeah. at the computer. <laughs> so, so suddenly an eight hour day becomes a 10 or a 12 hour day because you're not, <laughs> you're not paying attention to the time and, and you, you feel like you can give more. You don't have the boundaries that you have with a work environment. You go to an office, you turn on work brain, you leave the office, you turn off work brain, and then you can do your own personal stuff. And I think when we're growing as artists and we don't have that structure in place, we spend a lot of time trying to do our art and our craft as often and as much as possible 
because there is a little bit of that imposter syndrome where you feel like, well, I wish I was better than I am. So I'll just spend a little more time. I'll draw a little more. And you start to sacrifice friends and family and time out. And I did that. I did six months. Allison can, can attest to this. I did six months where I went to work, worked a full-time job, came home, and then I worked all day. And she would go to bed before me, and I would get up before her. And that was all I did for six months. And at the end of the six months, I had this like mental moment where I realized like I'm giving up time with my wife. I'm giving up time with my family and my friends. And I'm focusing on this work. And I got better during that time. Like I won't lie. I spent a lot of time doing it. But I also realized that I, I was happy I was growing, but I wasn't happy in other areas of my life. I was happy in this one segment but I wasn't making Allison happy and I wasn't spending time with her. I wasn't watching dumb movies, right? We weren't, we weren't watching bad movies. On TV. You know, we weren't watching on Netflix. Like there was moments where it just wasn't happening. And it's like those, I didn't realize until I stepped back how important those were in refreshing my spirit and my want to move forward. And, you know, you kind of just get into that situation where I was working full free freelance full time and I was teaching full time and it was it was overwhelming how much work I had to do and it, it becomes normal and it's it's balance. I know people say it all the time, um, but it's the hardest thing to do is to have balance because it's so easy to tip the scale. And I think the COVID-19 time that we're living in right now, it's tipping everyone's scale really hard in one direction. And a lot of people are are starting to, you know, they're starting to suffer. I do think that it's just something we all we all experience as artists. We just we kind of get consumed by it. And I think that's great because it shows you have the passion for it. But if you let it take over, it becomes super detrimental. I I, I think in terms of like is is imposter syndrome sort of um <clears throat> what's the word for it? Sort of um a rite of passage according well with that i think i think there might even be like a structural deficit with regards to how the path into the industry can be structured sometimes so like generally speaking the arts in america at least aren't particularly highly regarded you know in schools and um and you're like, of course, you know, maybe you want to go to art school, right? So you go to art school, you you graduate with a lot of debt. And there are a lot of art schools that are, you know, for profit. And it's it's not as focused on giving you the tools that you actually need to really be successful. You know, if you go to school for art or like a liberal arts degree, you know, generally speaking, you're mocked. You're like, oh, ho, ho, underwater basket weaving, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And then once you graduate, it's like you need two years experience to get into the industry. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen. So you have to hope that you find um, a mentor or someone to help you or like lots of networking, going to uh, different conferences or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the path into the industry is like really unsteady because obviously just talking to like among us, like the path in is fraught and difficult and there's no one path which it's very versatile on on one hand but at the same time not having milestones to look for could lead you to believe that you're doing something wrong or you're approaching it in the least efficient right. way basically because mm -hmm. the entire the entire pathway through art 
is unsteady. Yeah, it's comforting in a way that there's no set path that you should be following. So, you know, if you're not hitting those marks, <laughs> you're, you're a failure. You know, that's not the case. But at the same time, there's also, there's rarely reassurance that the path you're on is okay, that it's the right one for the you. The right one, yeah. Um, but just, uh, <laughs> just be rest assured that it is. Whatever path you're on, that's the one that you need to be on. So just keep going and you'll get the get there eventually. And your your definition of getting there might change over time. So it's important to be open to that. People need to hear this. That's why I'm excited to talk about it. Because yeah. when you sit alone and you don't hear other people talking about it and everyone looks awesome and you feel like shit the whole time, what do you do, right? Yeah. There's nothing out there's no one out there making blog posts about how shitty they feel, you know, and their entire Twitter is just I feel terrible today. And it's just no one wants to read that. Just on one <laughs> people don't want to read sad stuff that'll make them feel worse but on the other hand they also don't want to know they also want to know that they're right. not alone i feel like i'm guilty so, of that like, sometimes i feel like everything that i put out is so such a bummer but <laughs> it's what i need to get out and i i do I find it from people that find it comfortable yeah. that's why i do it but yeah i i do feel like oh, yeah. i run the risk of yeah. being excessively negative chris has a good balance because one one day it's badass Demaril. Other day it's like, oh, what's <laughs> happening in my life? Then badass Mo Demaril. It's like, it's like, damn, he gets this done and he's over. <laughs> I got one last question. What do you guys do to sign off? What What's your separation? You guys talk about like how the work is always there. Do you guys have a um, a regimen that you're like, all right, I'm in home mode now? Um, working from home for me, um, I, I can kind of internalize it. Uh, but the best thing I found, and I found this out kind of recently, I'm embarrassed to say, but it's true is I have like a schedule. So when I, when I do specific work, um, I tend to try and set a time period where I just quit and it's really hard to do. It always is, but I found that I committed to it for a couple of weeks in a row. And I would just reach like six or seven o'clock or whatever it was. I think it was like six o'clock was what I decided on. Um, and I would just quit. So I would start and try and quit at the same time during the day. And I would just go do something else immediately that was way more interesting. I'd raid the fridge. I'd make a snack. I'd complain about how hungry I was and that we didn't have anything to eat. Usually like, food related. <laughs> I, would do, I would do anything else. Um, way more interesting. To get there. And, and that, that, that routine is kind of baked into me now where when six o'clock rolls around, I start to feel like I'm done being productive, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, but it's there. And I, I try to maintain it because it's, it's healthier that right. way. Right? I think it's giving your permission. You're giving yourself permission to be done at six o'clock is important yeah. because you, you were talking about it, yeah, before exactly. how part of you is the productivity. You feel your best when you're always being productive. And I was like that for years and years especially when I was on the grind trying to get into the industry. I was always animating at home and morning at night. And nowadays when I, I don't necessarily have that big goal in front of me anymore, I've tried, I've, I've seeing a hole in who I thought I was and it's taking me time and I'm still not all the way through it of giving myself permission to be done and to not be productive mm -hmm. and only do what I can do not what I think other people expect out of me. One thing that has actually, because I've, I've been doing freelance now for several years. Uh, so the whole COVID-19 thing, uh, work from home, it hasn't been as dramatic of a shift for me. 
um, is I've actually set up a bunch of what I would call tricks of getting myself to work as well as get out of work. Um, the two of which I'll, I'll highlight here. One is I create a to-do list on Trello, uh, trello.com, where it's it has a bunch of different lists. Like there's a list for in the long run, there's a list for today. But the thing that the, the one specific I'll focus on is the one that's listed in the today to-do list because it'll have not just, oh, make sure you get these designs done, but it'll also say, make sure you brush the cats, make sure you eat lunch, make sure you do the dishes at some point so they don't build up. I don't know now. Um, <laughs> you know, all, all those sorts of things. And I would, you know, list them in the priority order of, okay, I got to make sure I do this at some point. So it will oftentimes it'll be art dishes, art, you know, take out trash, art, hello, <laughs> you know, do, doing something based on that. Um, and so those already kind of put in breaks for me. And sometimes I'll be like, no, I can, I can kind of keep going. And sometimes I'll look at my list and go, no, this is usually my time where I would take a break. So let me go ahead and take a break, even if I'm not feeling it. Um, and that keeps me like re-energized. The second thing that I tend to do um, is I would, this, this is going to sound a little weird, is I would actually, you know, dedicate uh, either songs or playlists into what it is that I want to put my mindset into. So for example, I have a dedicated like song where I'm like, okay, I'm about to work on this one project, right? Then I'm like, okay, the, and I've done this so many times where the moment that song plays, no matter where I am, I'm instantly in the, I gotta get in this work mode. I'm, so I'm programming. In, literally that's what I do. And I do that for so many different things that at this point, it's like, it, it literally gets me in that zone. So I'm not in that, Oh, you know, I need to find inspiration, or I need to not. It's like your I'm fight intro music. Because I'm hearing that. that music. You're walking into the exactly. ring. Exactly. Your song plays. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's been my process now for the past year, and it has expedited my work certainly. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess if if there was any other thing, this would be the very last one. Um, is I tend to base my schedule around people I'm around. So, for example, I base my schedule on Alvin. I check and see how long is he working and versus not working. But then also online, I have a group of artist friends where we will actually go onto a Google Hangout. All of us will share our screens. We turn off our video, we turn off our microphone so that way we're all just working. But we can at least get to see, oh, people are working. I'm not the only one working and they're working on cool stuff. Um, but then people will also say, hey, I'm about to take a lunch break. And you're like, oh, right, there is lunch. I should probably do that too. You know, and so you gauge it with other people. Um, and that, that's at least how I've done it for X amount of time I've been freelancing. Super yeah. smart. Yeah, that is. I don't really have any, I have no boundaries. <laughs> uh, um, that's actually something I'm still working on is um, I'm the type of person that before I can walk away from work, I need to get to a stopping point that I'm satisfied with. Uh, yeah, which I hate, tough one to but at this point, that's the way I am. So once I've gotten to that point, however long it takes, I pretty much just walk away from my desk and I won't generally go back to it um, after I've left my desk. Like, unfortunately, my home desk is now no longer a place of like fun and ease. It's, it's, it's my workstation mm -hmm. and it will be my workstation until 
such a time as I'm back in an office at some point. And so it's at the point where I, I don't really like, there are times when, yeah, I'll kill like 10 minutes cruising Twitter or YouTube or something. But honestly, I prefer now if I'm going to be doing that, I'll be on the iPad on the couch instead, because at least I'm not yeah. at my desk. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're interested, you can try um, Pomodoro. Yeah. I have oh, technique. I don't know if you know what it is. Yeah, it works if you actually commit to it. You basically work for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break. And then you work for 25 minutes and take a five minute break. And then eventually you take like a 25 minute break. And this just keeps your mind fresh and it keeps you like, it keeps you focusing on something other than work, but other than fun. It, it tries to imitate some kind of continuous right. balance. And you do that four or five times in a row and you've worked a full day basically. Um, and then you're you're done. But I found that to be pretty pretty beneficial, especially when I'm interested in like a video game. I'll work for a little bit and I'll play a little Animal Crossing, and then I'll work for a bit and play a little Animal Crossing. And it's always exciting to get back to the work because you feel like you haven't been burning yourself out on it, like you mentioned before, yeah. right? Because burnout is super real and it's right. terrible. And taking every advantage time. of those breaks, which you are legally entitled to, by the way. Um, I I try to go for two two to three 10 minute walks around my neighborhood every day i meditate for 10 minutes daily um, those things help me break up the work and my my attention and there's nothing else that i can do during those times if i'm meditating that's what i'm doing if i'm outside walking i'm walking to my end point and back there's really there's no browsing youtube on that unless i want to veer off into traffic looking at my phone uh, so yeah taking regular breaks where there's nothing that i can get lost in so i get back to work once they're done but still need to break up my mental attention so that i can power through the rest of the day oh, interesting colleen for me i just set hours i can only work like max eight hours when i hit that limit i'm done no matter what like especially working from home that's been like a huge thing for me because I've been feeling so exhausted because I was doing freelance work. So being busy helped because if I was going to put in four hours for freelance, I have to stop exactly when eight hits. So I have no choice. So it was like, I stopped there so I could eat, shower and still be able to, to do this. But now that I don't have that anymore, um, uh, it's, it's, it, you, I just have to stop. So I said eight hours, whenever that hits, I'm done. The breaks help, but I do the, every two hours, I'll take a 20 minute break. That's how I do it now. So sometimes I watch MASH with Mina. Um, sometimes my cats just look sad and cute and I, <laughs> and I go pet them. So th that's been helping me not get exhausted as I keep working. Um, but uh, listening to Mina's technique is interesting because I don't listen to anything while I animate. Um, that being said, when I'm really exhausted, I will listen to a podcast because something about that little bit of noise keeps me awake. But um, it's, it's, it's tough sometimes because I, I usually like to concentrate on just animation with no audio. So I still don't have, outside of those 20 minute breaks every like two hours, I don't have another thing to help me not keep going when I get exhausted. So I'm gonna try what Oliver is saying, you know, sometimes take like quick little snippets of breaks so I'm not just get tensing up and getting exhausted in my like head start shaking. Posture. <laughs> yeah, stop. <laughs> it hasn't happened in like four days, Glad so I'm doing it. good. 
Yeah, take care of yourselves. I do. I do hear you on the on the on the music thing, but my my personal preference is like uh, really pop music because it has that upbeat, and if I play it on repeat, like you can ignore the lyrics after a while. But then you're like, wow, I've listened to eight hours of Nicki Minaj on repeat. <laughs> And like, am I psychotic? But it works. <laughs> I, love, I love to dance, but I can't do that. You find me just having a control now, like. <laughs> yeah, and then I have songs that just bring me back to projects too, because that would be the one song that I found that I was like the most into. And then I'm like, and then it's gonna be like cornflakes taste like COVID all over. Again. <laughs> yeah, every time I have COVID. That, that's gonna have to be the title of the episode. Cornflakes takes like COVID. <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I so go. we'll sign off here. Thank you all very much for participating in this. I'm super proud that this is the group that I got for my first episode. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you for sharing. And everybody else out there listening, uh, take care of yourselves. Just remember that you're not alone. And uh, I hope this was helpful.